0: Hello, this is Kevin McMullen, Senior Pastor of Independence Christian Center. Thanks for joining us as we break the bread of life today. Our prayer is that your faith in our Lord Jesus Christ is strengthened by this word. God bless you. I have entitled today's message, How Long O Lord? Because how many of you know that I mean, we talk about patience. And we heard it in both of our prophetic utterances today. In fact, we're leading with Habakkuk 2, verses 2 and 3. He says, Then Yahweh answered me and said, Record the vision and inscribe it on tablets, that the one who reads it may run. Okay, now what does that mean? In other words, the one who reads it may believe it, And run with it. Walk according to that. For the vision is yet set, or is yet, for the next two words. Appointed time. The vision is for, uh, the vision is yet for the appointed time. Let's say that together. The vision is yet for the appointed time. It hastens toward the goal, and it will not fail. Though it tarries, wait for it. For it will certainly come, it will not delay. So many things that the Lord has spoken to me through the years. So many things that have yet to come to pass. Little, uh, I've even said to the Lord, Lord I feel like the poor little dog that you've dangled the weenie out in front of him. By showing me this stuff and Lord, I, I, you know, you've given me a little bit of a bite, just a little bit of a nibble, Because some of it has happened, but so little, maybe 10, 15%. But the best stuff, the greatest stuff, the most awesome part of it has yet to occur. And when we go to Elijah, we, run, we, we see exactly what we're, to, that to which we uh, refer right now. In First Kings seventeen, remember verse one, Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the settlers of Gilad. Okay, so he was from a place called Tishbe, which was. Of the settlers of Gilead, or Gilead as uh, said to Ahab who was the king. And we're going to talk a lot about Ahab next week and the week after. But as Yahweh the God of Israel lives before whom I stand. Surely there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word and so he tells Ahab very plainly and then paints a target on his back by saying except by my words now I have a feeling that he was laughed at and scoffed and derided when he said that which is the way it works okay but here we are 42 months later and they are not laughing now alright the uh, they they had said to the people they had looked for Elijah everywhere they had turned over every stone Gone into every cave looking for him because the government narrative was that this man had spoken out against Baal, and Baal was withholding rain as punishment for him. The, for failure to discipline him. Again, you know, the Romans did the same thing, saying that their Roman Empire was collapsing because Christians were steering people into monotheism and getting them away from Jupiter and Mars and Venus and Saturn and all the, all the, all the gods of the Roman pantheon and the gods were angry with them. Well, the hand of the real God, Yahweh God, Yahweh Elohim, was definitely on the kingdom, and it was getting bad. I mean, after 42 months of no rain, imagine what it would look like. In fact, we uh, just read from Psalm 63 Oh God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you. I, I, I shared in the uh, in the, in the uh, first part about how you know when we were riding motorcycles that day and it was so hot and I became uh, I became dehydrated and didn't even know it and I just was I was by the time we pulled into Richmond I was it was all I could do to stay awake and I was like I got plenty of sleep last night what is up with this but then after chugging three good-sized bottles you know they weren't two liters but you know of water I I perked right up. Suddenly I wasn't sleepy anymore. Suddenly I wasn't tired anymore. So when he says a dry and weary land, I completely understand. I remember when we went on vacation many years ago and we drove from San Diego uh, on our way back to Phoenix. And we crossed the Sonora Desert. And it was 120 something degrees out there. I mean in every direction you look you could see the shimmer of the heat coming off of everything we pulled into a gas station and there were guys there was there was four or five guys in there who were riding Harleys and I said to the guy you know how do you guys stand this heat and he said as long as you keep moving and as long as you stay hydrated it's really not that bad also bring sunscreen and I said okay well I'm going to take your word for that all right. I'm, you know, from a cooler part of the world and like it there. All right. Imagine the, the ground drying up. We heard about it this morning about a tree that has one of the things when we were on a, we were in Mexico, I think it was in Mazatlan, and we pulled in there like in January or February, and, I, and all the, none of the trees had leaves. And I thought, well, wait a minute, this is the tropics. Trees don't drop their leaves because of the wintertime. And so I asked one of the tour guides, I said, how come none of these trees have any leaves on them? They said, because it's the dry season. They will come out at the first part of the season when the rains are there. And they will produce lush uh, leaves and they'll really look good. He says, then as it gets dry, they drop their leaves in order to conserve moisture. And the leaves won't come back until it begins to rain again. So imagine leave and I've seen that we've been through droughts in my lifetime where I saw the drought stress on the trees and they were beginning to shed their leaves even long before fall came and it was it was nothing but a defensive thing. They were suffering it was drying they were fruitless they were weary. Everybody say amen. And in Psalm 143 6 he says I stretch out my hands to you my soul thirsts for you like a parched land we in this world are living in a time when it feels parched we remember the times yeah how many of you uh, some of you are not from uh, a background where you would remember this little ditty that we would sing there shall be showers of blessing how many of you remember that song Mercy drops around us are falling, but for the showers we plead, you know, and yeah, we've had a little bit here and a little bit there, but we remember the times like around the first of the century when God was pouring out His Spirit. We remember the time after World War II. Well, some of us remember. The time after World War II from 1948 to about 1959. And I was born smack in the middle of that. When God was pouring out His Spirit. And tents with these evangelists were going back and forth across the nation in miracles of staggering proportions. Both in terms of volume and in terms of, of the, the particular things that we were seeing done were just awesome and we're saying oh god oh god and you got to know that the people of israel living in the middle of this those who were faithful and believe me there were very few who really belonged to yahweh we know this from the next part of of elijah's story when god tells him there i will yet spare seven thousand those who have not bowed their knee to baal and their mouth has not kissed him as you'd kiss the hand of the idol 7,000 out of well over a million. I mean, you know, that's a small, that's, that, that's a small group. Alright? And so God was dealing with these people. And sometimes when you deal with populations, they don't come around all at once because they keep clinging to their sin. We're seeing that now. You know the thing of it is, if the things that were happening today in the West in particular, but in our nation in specific, were happening, our great grandparents would be completely panicked because they would realize how terrible this thing is, how horrible the things that are happening are, and how dangerous they are. But we are frogs in a kettle. All right? And so, in 1 Kings chapter 18, and we'll begin reading here with uh, verse, uh, it says, "Well, I'll tell you what, let's go back to, let's go to 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 1. After many days the word of Yahweh came to Eliahu, Elijah, in the third year, saying, Go show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. So Elijah went to present himself to uh, Ahab. Now, listen to this. The famine the what? Famine. Because if you can't grow crops, you don't have anything to eat. Right? Mark, I think we can turn the AC down because now everybody's coating up. A minute ago we had people wilting and flat, And now everybody's you know, it's like... Alright. And I will send rain upon the earth. So Elijah went and present to present himself to Ahab. Now the famine was very severe in Samaria. And Ahab had summoned... Obadiah, who was in charge of his palace. Okay, so he was his chief steward. Obadiah was a devout believer in Yahweh. While Jezebel was killing off Yahweh's prophets. I want you to remember that. Because we've got to get those facts straight. Not today, but going forward. That there is a keen difference between Ahab, who was a mess, and uh, Jezebel, who was evil. Pure evil. Alright? Alright, so Now, while Jezebel was killing off Yahweh's prophets and his preachers, uh, Obadiah had taken a hundred prophets and hidden them in two caves, 50 in each, and had supplied them with food and water. Bread and water, literally it says. Ahab said to Obadiah, Go through the land to all the springs and valleys. Maybe we can find some grass to keep the horses and mules alive, so that we don't have to kill any of our animals. And you know, but he says, and some of the cattle is what the literal ESV misses that part. But and some of the cattle, he wasn't even ready to. He he knew they couldn't even save all of that. So they divided the land, they mapped it out to cover. And apparently, this was when they were just getting started. Ahab was going in one direction, and Obadiah in another. And as Obadiah was walking along, Elijah met him. How I many of you think now? Remember that Elijah didn't have GPS. Obadiah wasn't carrying an iPhone that has his location on it, etc. And Obadiah recognized him and bowed down to the ground and said, is it really you, Uh, Lord Elijah? So we see that things were bad. They were out looking for pasture to keep the horses and the mules alive and some of the cattle if they could. Because they were having to slaughter them. Even the security, think about this, even the military security of the land was at risk because the army wouldn't have the proper resources. Even though they would divert everything to that, I'm sure that they could. And further, when people get hungry, they don't behave in the same way they ordinarily do. When people get hungry, they may behave in a very antisocial way. In fact, they do. But what we see happening here is God's agenda and God's direction. Saints, even in the middle of that grinding, debilitating drought, God, the promises of God are absolutely true and absolutely reliable. Even though you, as a tree, may have dropped your leaves... And you may not be in a fruitful season. And you may be wondering, when on earth will it ever rain? When on earth is this ever gonna happen? And, hence the title, How Long, O oh Lord? Maybe you've even gotten past that to where you are at How Long, O oh Lord, How Long? How I many of you know what I'm saying? All right but they are true the thing that we have to remember again this is a, this whole series is about faith and that is that our faith is in God and it always is subservient to his agenda his timing what did Habakkuk chapter 2 say it will come at the what appointed time well who is the one who appoints the time God, rest assured, if he had given me any say-so whatsoever in this, we would be seeing a lot more things happen. Trust me. And so for 42 months, Elijah had endured and seen the impact of the land. He had seen people die. That's what happens in a severe drought. There's a famine. And he had been eating pancakes or tortillas for breakfast, lunch, and dinner this whole, for the last couple of years and while you know it beats nothing beats nothing Well, what's for breakfast today pancakes what's for lunch pancakes what's for dinner pancakes pretty soon i'm sure the widow put a little sign on the kitchen says don't ask same menu Same menu as the last 24 months. And so, hooray, that they're getting to eat. But, you know, and, you know, I've speculated before, maybe the Lord was merciful, and one day it tasted like a T-bone steak, and the next day it tasted like a blueberry pancake, and the day after that, something like that. We have absolutely no, you know, there's nothing in there that would even loan itself to believing that. And I'm sure the widow... And her household and people that knew that Elijah was there would be coming back to him after a couple of years saying, Have you heard anything from the Lord? I mean, has the Lord said anything to you? I mean, how much longer is this going to go? To which Elijah would respond, "Mm -hmm. Have you with me? He had to walk by faith just like we do. Amen. And we had no indication that he had any idea how long this... He knew it was going to be a long time, because he said in seventeen one these years, plural. But being human, it undoubtedly, probably a year and a half in, dry, parched, hot in the summer, cold in the winter, and no rain. The, the ground is nothing but dust. Nothing is growing. This feels like it's going to drag on forever. Now, while it isn't revealed to us right at this particular time, we see it later, and we'll get to that because, you know, not today, where Elijah ran from Jezebel, and, he's, and he didn't just leave town. He left the country. He left Israel, went all the way across Judah, all the way down into Ersheba and he's there and the Lord says to him what are you doing here we could call him the out of position prophet because he's not where he's supposed to be and he says in 1st Kings chapter 19 and verse 10 I have been very zealous for Yahweh God of hosts For the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I alone am left. Now he was not alone. And remember that just a few days previous... Obadiah had said, was it not told you that, are you not aware of the fact that I hid when Jezebel and her priests were out executing the the preachers of Yahweh, that I hid a hundred of them in two clumps of 50 and put them in caves and fed them room service. Bread and water. Amen. So there was at least one more. Obadiah. There's at least 50 or 100 more after Obadiah, if they're still alive, which we have no reason to believe they weren't. But you can get so overwhelmed that it just seems like you are all alone. And make certain that the enemy wants you to feel that way. He wants you to feel isolated. He wants you to feel cut off. He wants you to feel, you know, like you are in the middle of what the mystics used to call your dark night of the soul. And there is no coming out of it. They've torn down your altars. They've killed your prophets. And I'm the only one left. And that's one of the problems when we start fixing dates. You know, okay, it's going to happen by now. How do I know this? Because I've thought before, okay, it'll happen by now. Then I'll reset my timing then reset it again then reset it again then reset it again then reset it again and then at some point you just quit setting it why because you're maturing amen whatever God has said whatever timetable I've put on it has rarely if ever worked out because it's kind of like construction it always takes longer and costs more all right but now here in 18.1, something is moving. Something has changed. Because God says to him, after many days, the word of Yahweh came to Elijah in the third year. Actually, well into the, into the fourth. Go show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the earth. Wow. So he takes off. walking. Headed towards Samaria. He's taking his life in his own hands in a very real sense. If you care to think of it in those terms. Because he is still public enemy number one. And so he's headed down there. And he runs into no no one other than Obadiah. Who looks at him who hasn't seen him in a very long time. And you know Elijah's... You know know, the, the government closed down his internet ministry. And would not allow his podcast and you know and and uh, the only place you could find what what Elijah looked like was in the post office where his, his picture was up on the wall if you see this man call Ahab you know kind of thing and so he says is it is it you Elijah my master all right and here is a man who had stuck out his own neck in order to save the prophets. Now some people might say. How could he do that without Ahab being a king? Because Ahab isn't the person a lot of people think he is. Jezebel is. For sure. But if you remember. Kings back then. Had harems. And Jezebel was not the only one. And while she was the queen. They weren't always together. Many times she was at Samaria. While uh, Ahab was at Jezreel. Which is where. But then there are times they're both there. Alright? And so, there's always, God would say, there's always a remnant. Always. Hear me. There is almost no place in the Bible where God works in the majority. He works through the remnant. Uh, remember what it says over in Acts chapter 27, when Paul and, uh, was a prisoner, and, and Julius the uh, centurion was taking him was tasked with taking him to Rome and they put in you know and, and and so they were at a place that wasn't quote unquote suitable for wintering and they said okay we're going to take this ship and we're going to head out you know and 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 Paul told the centurion and the, the you know and said no don't my I perceive that this is going to be a you know very hazardous to the literal to the loss of the ship. And of our very lives. But Julius. Was. More persuaded. By the owner of the ship. And the captain. Or the pilot of the ship. Than he was by Paul. And it says. I love the way it says this. The majority. Having reached. A decision. They set sail. Have you ever been a part of a majority. That made a bad decision. And set sail. Okay. There you are. We've had a few of those. And. And we know what happened they lost the ship but everybody everybody lived through it sort of all right they were a little worse for the wear but they were all there at malta all right so the majority so you know doesn't know. oh by the way just go read the rest of chapter 27 and all of chapter 28 and you will discover that from the time that the storm hit forward julius listened to every single thing paul had to say I believe we will meet Mr. Julius, uh, you know, uh, Centurion Julius in heaven. I do. All right. So here we have where, you know, uh, uh, Elijah had made made this prediction and he had said this, but the people aren't ready. They need to push. We're going to see that next week. They're still not ready, but God has pushed this as far as he's going to. And God knows the hearts of people. He knows we're a mess. He knows that the promise of rain coming on the land would be well received, but that humanity has a nasty habit of forgetting what caused us to repent to begin with. You see it throughout Israel's history. You know, repent, things get better they turn up they run away from God then things get bad then they come they repent and God moves to and up and down and up and down and up and down they go and so here God you know was going to do something very very special and it wasn't going to be something he had never done before because he had had fire fall from heaven but it would be something that those who knew him would recognize and those who didn't know him would be gobsmacked I believe we're gonna see that again I don't know if it's going to be fire falling from heaven. Well, there will be fire falling from heaven because the Bible says that the Antichrist will be able to do that. Lying wonder, all right. But by, you know, here. It, but those who don't know God were going to be shocked by the things that they had seen. Has anybody besides me noticed that God apparently is constantly playing what they call the long game? Oh man, yes, the very. Very long game. In many instances. But the end game is just as important. Because the lessons of the grind. Through which they had been. In the last 42 months. Would, would be lost. If God didn't do something special. Now. I want you to think about poor old Obadiah. Here he had been. You know. Hiding from Jezebel more or less. Hiding his faith from Jezebel. Hiding the prophets from Jezebel and working with that mess that we call Ahab. Because when Jezebel had her priests fanning out through the nations, because it says she did it, it doesn't say Ahab did it. And you'll notice that when you'll see it, when Ahab meets uh, Elijah, he'll say, well, is it you troubler of Israel? He doesn't say, kill that man. He doesn't tell his army, his guards, or anything to do that. And I'll I'll get into that a little bit later about who Ahab is and who he represents and what the theological messaging there is. And you'll see it today. But he meets Obadiah, and Obadiah is tired. It's been 42 months without rain. He's had to hide these people. God only knows how long. This has been stressful. And he says to him, when we come to uh, 1 Kings chapter uh, 18 again, beginning in verse 8, which is where we just left off. He said, is it you, my master? And he said, yes. He replied, go tell your master, meaning Ahab, Elijah is here. And And Obadiah says, well, what have I done wrong? Asked Obadiah, that you're handing your servant over to Ahab to be put to death. As surely as Yahweh your God lives, there is not a nation or a kingdom where my master has not sent someone to look for you. Dollar to a donut that he was the messenger on several of those occasions. And whatever nation or kingdom claimed you were not there, he made them swear out an affidavit that they couldn't find you. Now, you tell me to go to my master and say, Elijah is here. And I have no idea where the Spirit of Yahweh may carry you when I leave. If I go tell Ahab, and he doesn't find you, he's going to kill me. He, I love some of the other versions where it says, the Spirit's going to whisk you over here. Or the Spirit's going to whisk you over there. I, I see that today in the church. I've listened to one YouTube prophet after another as they have predicted this, and it hasn't happened. Are you, are you with me? And, but that doesn't make God any less God. And all Obadiah is saying, Elijah, don't get my hopes up. Don't do that. That's just not, you know. Haven't you heard, my Lord, what I did when Jezebel was killing the prophets of Yahweh? I had 100 of Yahweh's prophets in two caves, 50 in each. And supplied them with bread and water. And now you tell me to go to my master. And say Elijah's here. I'm a goner. But Elijah said. As Yahweh the almighty lives. Whom I serve. I will surely present myself. To Ahab today. Everybody say surely. Our God is a God of some surely's. And some suddenly's. Amen. And so, what we, Obadiah, I want you to think about this. Obadiah represented what was the best and the most active and engaged of the faithful people who were left in Israel. He was strong, he was devout. Scripture says so. And, you know, as the judgment of God ground on, Everything became tired. Everything became parched. And he's standing there in front of Elijah with no leaves on him. How many of you know what I'm saying here? Even though he was selected. Miracles. And think about this. he He knew the scriptures. He knew the things that God had done in the past. He knew the miracles that God had worked through so many. But he knew about those. But he had never seen anything like that. He believed the scripture, but it just seemed like those days were so long ago and so far away and that the prospect for God doing it today had dwindled to the point that he was hanging on by a thread. Can anybody understand where Obadiah is? But he says, I will be there. Surely I will stand before him today. Remember what Habakkuk said in chapter 2 and verse 3. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. Matthew chapter 11 and verses twelve through fifteen, which is a reference to John the, ba- actually a reference to, uh, he even says Elijah in it, is an interesting. And I take the NIV eighty-four version of this because they translate it in the middle voice rather than the passive, and it makes much more sense given the context. From the days. This is, you know, the the um, disciples of John the Baptist are on their way back to John who had sent and asked Jesus, are you the coming one or do we look for someone else? John himself found himself in a situation he had not anticipated and was beginning to lose hope. You see, what happens is when God speaks to us and we'll see this with Elijah When God speaks to us about something, and He promises to do something, we add stuff to it. And we expect, perhaps, some things that God isn't necessarily promising. God will always do what He says He will do. But uh, John suddenly found himself in prison, and... He this this wasn't you know he was the Messiah he's coming with his winnowing fork and he's going to clear his threshing floor and he's going to throw out the bad wheat. The axe is already being laid to the root of the trees. You bunch of snakes pointing at the Sadducees and the Pharisees who warned you to flee the raft to come. He probably thought all this was going to go down within the next six to ten months. And now he's in jail. For nothing. And so. Did I miss it? And you got to remember, he saw the Holy Spirit descending on Jesus as a, as a dove. didn't say he is a dove. It was gentle, like a dove. And so, he, he, had, he had had a supernatural, he'd had an epiphany, a supernatural experience. And yet, that's experience. Probably now, here he is in jail. Seemed like it was decades ago. And this isn't what I thought it would be. Some of us might even say, This isn't what I signed up for. Amen? And so Jesus, they, they, Jesus gives them scripture, which is, a, is, a, is an honor to John, sends them back, and after they're out of earshot, he says nice things about John, like of all the people that men born of women, there's none greater. Than John the Baptist and yet he who is least in the kingdom is greater than he and he says this from the days of John the Baptist this is verse 12 Matthew 11 and verse 12 I'm reading from the NIV from the days of John the Baptist until now the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing not suffering violence forcefully advancing and forceful men laid hold of it from the days of John the Baptist until now in other words all at once the kingdom just started forcefully advancing was it God doing anything before that of course he was but that was the appointed time for the redemption uh, event to begin to play out God has an appointed time for your life I should say this: appointed times. He has appointed times in my life, but every bit of it is subservient to the greater overarching plan of His kingdom advance. There are things that I would really like to see happen, and God will say, It's not time for that yet. It will happen, but it's not time for that yet. Well, when is it going to be time? When I say so. Well, could you give me a hint? Yes. What's the hint? When I say so. Well, when are you going to say so? It's not for you to know the, when, the how longs or the whens which the Father has set by his own authority. <gasps> what was the last thing Jesus said before he went to heaven? Wait. Oh, great. So let's read. From the days of John the Baptist until now the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and forceful men lay hold of it. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. And if you're willing to accept it, he is who? Elijah Elijah, who was to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Of course the kingdom, God was doing things before that. But there is that appointed time. Boom. When the kingdom breaks cover. And things begin to crank. And it's not until the populace. Because it's all about the people. Every bit of it. You know the Lord spoke to me over 20 years ago. 21 years ago last September. And said I weep for my people who are about to be left behind. I don't want anybody to be left behind. But I sure do want God to move. So Lord. If we have to leave some people behind. I mean that's up to you. On that now, let's, just, let's just get moving. Come on. You know, we used to get on the bus in Germany when we get like this, they're sitting, the bus drivers just sitting out there waiting and waiting and waiting, you know, to take everybody down and we'd be yelling, "Alf Gates from the back. Let's go. <sighs> Have you ever been behind somebody that was driving 15 miles an hour into the speed limit? It's probably Jean. <laughs> she didn't speed anywhere you know and it's like oh you know how do I find you know I, I, I've even said it out loud how do I find all of these people who are obviously on their way to work because they're in no hurry you know and then I remember Romans 5 tribulation work with patience endurance endurance proven character and proven character hope and hope does not disappoint amen, amen. Sometimes you just want to put it on the side of your car. The tribulation mobile. (sighs) God has a launch point. He has a time. He's dealing with the population. He's dealing with the people. He is dealing with them. He is shaking. He is doing those things. And when it is time. If our musicians would come. Hebrews chapter 6. Verses 11 and 12. Say this. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Faith is the assurance of that hope. I've used this illustration probably 300 times. You call the pizza delivery place, Papa John's, Pizza Hut, wherever it is and you order the pizza and they say 25 minutes or 45 minutes or whatever they say it's gonna be. And so you tell the kids the pizza's coming in 45 minutes and they're all hungry and they're ready for it to have been here 20 minutes ago. But what do you do? That's hope when they say, It will be there in 35 minutes. That is our hope. What is faith? Faith is setting the table, making the salad, pouring the drinks, putting out the utensils, and doing the things necessary to be ready to eat it when you hear ding dong. How many of you with me? And so we are preparing. We continue to prepare. Yeah, but Pastor, it feels like I've been preparing for 40 years. Me too! Amen! But it's not about what we have accomplished. It's how faithful we have been to what He has called us to do. When we stand in front of Him, He is not, and we all will, Paul says it both in Romans and in 2 Corinthians, we will stand before him. And he's not going to say, oh man, you really did great here, here, and here, and here. And then all that was your idea. I had nothing to do with that. You know, you wanted all this grandiose stuff. You're doing like these people tell you to reach into the future and pull something. out. like, there's absolutely nothing in scripture that says we can do that. And it probably wouldn't be a good idea if we did. You know what they call it in the economic world? When you reach forward and pull something into the future, they call it debt. That's what we're doing. We're borrowing from the future to have it now. All right? And so it says, right, it says, again in Hebrews chapter. 6 verses 11 and 12. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end. And so that so that you, to the end that, you will not be sluggish. But imitators, mimickers of those who, through faith and patience, inherit the promises. Um, you know, I probably offend somebody with that illustration, but... Our six-year-old grandson whenever I do something he wants to do it you know and he'll say can I do it and I'll say okay do it like this and he'll get it wrong most of the time and he wants he's he's all boy his latest thing is knives I want to cut and I get ready to cut something can I do that can I help and I cut that for you and uh, Yes. And and we're always telling him, be careful with that knife. Be careful with that knife. Be careful with that knife. Be careful. Oh, by the way, turn it over. The sharp side's the other side. That's why you're smashing the strawberry rather than cutting it. And we're talking, be careful with it and everything. And last night I was in in the bathroom brushing my teeth or something. And he comes walking in with blood on his hand. And I said, what happened? He said, I cut myself. I said, how'd you do that? And he didn't do it with a knife. We have an apple slicer that you put on top of the apple and throom, like this. Somehow he got his little finger under there. And it didn't cut him very deeply, but it cut him enough that he bled. And he's standing there going like, you know, and, and he said, I said, well, come here, let's wash it. And so well, what he goes, it hurts. Uh-huh. I said, that's why Nana and I continually tell you to be careful because cuts. I said, and that isn't even a deep cut, you know? And he goes, and then he pulls it out and we dry it off and it's not bleeding anymore. And so he says, Do you think I need a band aid? And I said, No, I think you're going to be okay. It's not bleeding. So he comes back a little later and says, It's bleeding. I said, Yeah, quit squeezing it. <laughs> Which is what he's doing. He's going like, let's we'll see if I can make this thing bleed. <laughs> yeah, there it is. I'm bleeding. You know, I said, let's wash it off again. And he says, it's, it, 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 it stings. And I said, yeah. And tomorrow it might be a little bit sore. I said, that's what I said. You could cut yourself with a knife way worse than that. You might even have to go to the hospital and have to have it sewn up. Papa's done that. No fun. No fun at all. You know, thank God I don't have a frequent patient card over at the hospital like some people do for that stuff. And, you know, you know, and he's he's having to learn. You know, he wants to do everything. But one of the things I have found with him is that he pretty quickly decides he knows the better way to do it. Well, guess what? We're like that with God. God, what are you doing? Do you not understand our situation down here? Take a look around you. Take a look around me. Not around you. Look around me. I mean, Lord, you need to do something. And tonight would be just fine. In fact, last night would be even better. But he knows. He knows exactly. And yet, that was what Habakkuk was saying. He was saying, Lord, you show me all this stuff. And I don't see any sign that it's occurring. And he said, it's coming. And it did. Just as he had shown him. We will through faith and patience inherit the promises what God has promised us we will receive it will be there our leaves will come back we are his army we are the ones he has chosen the remnant who has stayed faithful and hung tough these many years. So what have, what have we been doing here? We've been training because guess what? God's raising you up to put your arm around people and teach them. Can you give me four more minutes? There are no there is no Chiefs game today. So I've shared that vision so many times about from the very I mean it was the the church wasn't even, but it wasn't even I don't think a year old when this came to me when I I started off asleep. Well, and then when it was over i was wide awake so maybe it was a dream or maybe it was a vision maybe it was a drision. whatever it was or a dream uh i i i, I you know and this guy standing in front of me and he's standing on one leg and he's got another leg coming out of his of his rib cage and everything's all complete. And then behind him are two more people who are similarly disfigured, and behind them more people who are similarly disfigured. And then it's just the line just goes, and I man, I mean, I was horrified at what I was seeing because it really was a freak show. And I I went, What was that? And the Holy Spirit said, These are people who have been butchered, and that was the word he used by so called ministry, and I'm sending them to you. Oh, I didn't understand it. It's just like anything else God says to you, you make an immediate application. Which usually is wrong. And then here I am. What that was in what about 1985 coming up on 40 years later. I've got my head wrapped around it a whole lot better. And that's this butchered by so-called ministry. But look at the guy standing in front of me. He's standing on how many legs? One. The other one is in the wrong place. He can't walk. And Paul talks about walking worthy of the calling with which we are called. Paul talks about the love walk. He talks about walking by faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. And here are people who cannot walk because they have been told that all of this lifestyle, this lawless lifestyle, is okay. And it is sabotaging their walk with God and their ability to believe Him and to be victorious in this life. And we will not back off of that. Because you and I have been called to put our arm in love around people who are messed up and say, You know, I know where you are, and I'm not trying to judge you. But what I'm telling you is, what you're doing here is unbiblical, and it's never going to work. It's not working for you now. hasn't worked for you, and it never will. And so, let me share some truth with you. But you got to know the truth before you can share it. The truth you know the truth is that the vision will come for the appointed time though it tarries wait for it like I have a choice for it certainly will come when it says it will not delay that doesn't mean it won't take longer what it means is it will be here right on time. Saying, I want to, you know, we're going to pick up with Elijah on Carmel next week. And what a wonderful thing that was. And what happened as God began to move in the northern kingdom. But today, I want to leave you with 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 24. Where he says, Paul the apostle says to the believers in Thessalonica who were under persecution. He said, faithful is he who calls you and he will also bring it to pass. What God has promised, he is performing. And we've got to cling to that. I want you to think about it. When when Jesus was crucified, the disciples were devastated. This is not what they saw coming. And then when he rose from the grave, they even said, Okay, now you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel now, right? He goes, Nope. Well, when is that going to happen? It's not for you to know. The, t- the winds, How long are the winds? Which the Father has set by his own authority. But you shall receive power. Yeah! To do what? To do the will of God. And to go out and make disciples of all nations. Guess what? We are still called to do that. To make disciples of people. Not just converts. Disciples. Great and mighty things. And we're right there. I mean, we I believe we've crossed over. The Lord showed us the acceleration. We're in the middle of it. Hallelujah. This is a great day to be alive. It's a great day to know Jesus. And it's a great day to be a doer of the word. Those of you watching by web, thank you for being with us. Thank you for staying with us. I want to encourage you. If you do not know Jesus, Christ, I, I just got through talking about how all that God is doing right now even so many in the remnant are just like race horses in that paddock or whatever they call those things the gates where the race horses stand before the the sound of the uh, of the bell and the doors fly open and they're out. They're just, they're ready to go. But it's not God's time yet. He hadn't opened the gates. And we're like, when is He going to do it? And the reason that we are having to delay is because God is moving on the hearts of people. He is stirring the hearts of people. He is impacting the hearts of people who don't know Him so that when the time does come, the harvest is ripe. Do not turn away from this opportunity. If you do not know Jesus, call upon Him right now. And say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. I repent, Lord. What I've been doing, that ain't it. It isn't working. And I need you, Lord. I believe, Father, that Jesus is your Son. I believe He's the Messiah. I believe He's the Son of God. I believe you've raised Him from the dead. Lord, come into my heart. And Scripture says God will do that and you will be born again. And there is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. Hell is real. Jesus said so. All right. Second, if you're a Christian, this is not a time to be mildly interested in spiritual things. When you can pray, I believe God, help thou my unbelief. That is an answer, or that is a prayer rather, God will answer. That is something he's interested in doing for you bringing you all the way in so you are involved you are engaged you are fully in because the scripture says when king asa was coming back from battle the prophet met him and said the eyes of the lord roam to and fro all over the earth that he may show his himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are holy and entirely his Let's go all the way in. Remember we talked about the rich young ruler? We see where his heart was, but we also saw where the widow's heart was. And I don't think she went hungry. Bible doesn't tell us but it does, specifically, but it doesn't have to because we know. Amen and amen. We hope this message has been a great blessing to you and has helped build your faith in Jesus. We encourage you to visit our app, Independence Christian Center, on your cell phone available from the Apple App Store or Android, Google Play. You can also find us on Apple TV, Roku, Amazon, YouTube, and Facebook, again, under Independence Christian Center, or at our website, Family, all one word, dot .org, iccfamily.org. Our heart's desire here is to labor with the Lord in building his body. Until next time, May God's very best be yours.